The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. In a series we've called Refocus, after the past few tumultuous years for all of us in our society, we're seeking to refocus what we're all about. We're seeking to build a community of people around the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians is showing us that good news applied, the power of that good news applied, which can transform our lives and our church. Today we refocus, you might say, our power, our power in weakness. Let me pray for us, and Lindsay will read our passage. Holy Spirit, would you fill us as we are commanded in Scripture to be continually filled with the Spirit. Fill us now. Open the eyes of our hearts to see wondrous things out of your word to apply them and benefit, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might, might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among, among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lindsay. I want to say something to you and then ask you how this lands on you. The Christian life is to be lived out of weakness. Weakness. The Christian life is to be lived out of things other people feel are folly and, and foolishness. The Christian life is to be lived out of weakness. How's that land on you? What's your response? You like maybe a gut reaction? Christian life is to be lived out of weakness. Maybe internally you, you push back 
My Christian life is about strength, Tab. It's about victory, not weakness. Or, on the other end of the spectrum, you just felt hopeless, a kind of sinking feeling. I am weak and I have no hope. It's useless. Or, or maybe you just took a, a deep breath and you felt your shoulders kind of relax. As fresh faith and hope rose up in your heart. I hope by the time we're done, that third experience is more of what you and I experience. Because through our weakness, God loves to display his power. That's what I want to see with you in this passage, a, a particular thread, a particular theme. Through our weakness, God displays his power. And he shows us that here in three ways, three examples, actually. Three examples of one main idea, that through our weakness, God displays his power. Here's example number one. God's power displayed in the weakness, and I'll put air quotes around that, in the weakness of our message. God's power displayed in the weakness of our message. The prior section was about disunity, divisions in the church in Corinth. Factions had developed, seemingly at least in part, around who had been baptized by whom. And so the apostle says in verse 17, verse 17, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, the good news, not with words of eloquent wisdom or, or cleverness of speech. Now, when you see wisdom in this passage, don't think the wisdom of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. This is human speculative wisdom. Human philosophy combined with impressive oratory. The, the Corinthians were enamored with the latest fads and wanted to be impressed in the process. Entertain me, they said. That's wisdom here. So the apostle says, I did not come with that kind of wisdom to you, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power, lest the cross of Jesus be obscured or nullified. And now he explains that in our text. Verse 18, for, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So God's power, he says, is in this message. But, but it's folly, it's foolishness to those, he says, who are, quote, perishing. Why? He goes on to unpack two main human idolatries in verse 22. He says, first, Jews demand signs. It's the desire for displays of power for God to prove himself. And he says, Greeks seek wisdom, speculative human ideas and philosophies. It's the idolatry of God must explain himself to me and make sense to me. God must prove himself. God must explain himself. And in contrast, he says in verse 23, look at verse 23. But we preach 
Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Now, to appreciate this, you have to realize how crazy that message of Christ crucified sounded. That was an oxymoron, a statement of, of opposites. That's like saying hot ice or frozen fire to say Christ crucified. Christ means Messiah, the long-promised Jewish deliverer. Messiahs conquer, Messiahs win. They don't get killed. And for the Messiah to be crucified was unthinkable. Crucifixion was a horrific form of humiliation, torture, and execution. You hung naked on a cross for days until you suffocated to death. Crucifixion was reserved in this day for slaves and their worst criminals. And for a Jewish person, theologically, being hung on a tree meant you were under God's curse from the book of Deuteronomy. So preaching Christ crucified, that's like saying salvation was purchased for you by a Jewish death row inmate. Entrust your soul to a wandering rabbi who was executed as a slave, who was cursed by God on a tree. And there's not a weaker, more foolish message than Christ crucified. That's as weak as it gets. Unless, unless God has acted upon you. Verse 24. But to those who are called, to those who are called by God to himself, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Notice it. Weak message in the eyes of the world. And yet in reality, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the, quote, weakness of God is stronger than men. So to sum it up, God's power is revealed in this weak message. God's wisdom displayed in this foolish message. I need to ask you, is the cross of Christ folly or foolishness to you? You might be a guest here. You might be a young person, a child, a kid, a youth, teenager growing up. And maybe you've heard this message so many times and it just doesn't make a difference to you any longer. Friend, I would urge you to reconsider. I would urge you to turn away from that form of unbelief that God might meet you in his love that you would turn and trust in Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, and find that this message indeed is the power and wisdom of God for you. But what about for those who have believed? How should we respond? How should we apply this? Well, certainly, certainly we must not allow anything else to obscure the message of Christ crucified, as the Corinthians were doing with their love of philosophy and oratory in their day. We must never allow the cross to be void, nullified, emptied of its power. That, that's central. But I struggle this week. I wonder if we could make the application a little bit more personal. 
just push the application out a little bit further. I read a book by Rankin Wilborn and Brian Greger, and they helped me. They, they point out the fact that the immediate context here is disunity, as Joshua preached. Disunity lurks in the background all the way through the end of chapter 4. Their divisions are lurking in the background all the way through the end of chapter 4. So, Wilborn and Gregor claim the disunity seems to be but a symptom of a deeper problem, and it seems the apostle is now getting at that deeper problem that the Corinthians need to wrestle with, grapple with the nature of this message. The weakness of this message. They write the following, quote, the word of the cross, verse 18, the word of the cross is actually promoting a whole new way of being. The word of the cross is actually promoting a whole new way of being. That's what Paul, they say, that's what Paul was telling his status-seeking, competitive, anxious, and insecure readers. Christ's people are to model a new way of being human where the old markers of success, think of their divisions, where the old markers of success not only no longer count, but also have been exposed as foolishness. I think they make a good point given the context. You divided Corinthians. I'm starting now to tell you about a whole new way of being. You factional people, I'm telling you a whole new way of being human. Those things you thought are success, the gospel has made them foolish. This is the power of God in this weak message. Allow it to shape you into a cruciform, cross-shaped kind of life. I mean, that is Philippians chapter 2. Unity by having Christ's mindset. Unity by thinking like the Son of God, who did not count equality with God, a thing to be clutched onto, took the form of a servant in weakness, taking on our humanity in addition to his divine nature, humbling himself, obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's gospel application, Philippians 2. A whole new way of being might be what the apostles beginning to surface for the Corinthians as well. So just think about maybe, think about someone here who, they just kind of sometimes get under your skin a little bit. Just a little bit. Might be for you at the moment, could be your spouse you're thinking of, or it could be a sibling or a friend or someone in your home group and you kind of wish they'd find a different group. Listen, toward that person, what does God's power in this weak message mean for you? What would a whole new way of being look like for you? It might be humbling yourself to serve that person. It might be showing them love and mercy in light of the love and mercy you've received in Jesus. It might be embracing a form of sacrifice that looks like forbearance and patience. 
Regardless, God's power, friends, God's power is displayed in the weakness of this message. That's example number one. Let's see example number two. God's power is then displayed in the weakness of ourselves. God's power, secondly, displayed in the, in the weakness of you and me, in the weakness of ourselves. Look with me now at verse 26. He says, For consider your calling, brothers, or brothers and sisters better. Brethren would be a good word. Brethren. We're all included here. Consider your calling. Now we're exhibit A for God's power and weakness. Consider your calling by God. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. Verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. You hear our theme? God chose what is weak. Here it is. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Historically, the gospel, the good news, has most spread this way among slaves in the Roman Empire, among the untouchable caste in India, among the slums in Latin America. And that's why, right here, we're such an unimpressive group, including myself. Because God's making a statement. The statement of verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Here's, here's his point of calling the weak and foolish, that none of us might boast. There is a no boasting sign allowed posted right here next to the good news. As verse 30 then explains, because of him you are in Christ Jesus, notice, who became to us. Wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So catch this now, catch this. For foolish people like us, Christ is now our wisdom, true wisdom from God. For weak people like us, Christ is now our righteousness, our righteous standing before God. For people who are dead in sin, Christ is our sanctification, our holiness before God. People who are under God's justified wrath, he is our redemption, our ransom payment, setting us free. That we might boast in him. I read of an art form, Japanese art. I believe it's pronounced kinsakuroi means golden repair, golden repair. In this art form, broken bowls, cracked bowls and vessels are filled in those cracks with gold, luminous, beautiful gold, filling all the cracks and brokenness of these bowls. And that's what makes the object all the more beautiful. It's brokenness filled with beautiful gold. Now, through those cracks, the gold in its splendor shines through. It might be a way to think about what Jesus has done for us in this passage. Through our weakness, our brokenness, all those cracks, he shines through with the gold of his finished work. The gold of him being for you now your wisdom. 
your righteousness, your sanctification, your redemption, with, again, the bottom line being verse 31, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, boast in his gold shining through your cracks, so to speak, your brokenness. That's Christian boasting. The Christian life, in other words, is not about being a spiritual superhero. I enjoy the Marvel movies with my family. I think Black Panther was my favorite, Light Captain America, the Hulk. I enjoy watching those, maybe you do too, because I think we all want to have some superpower and kind of be our own superhero. In fact, the company Hasbro now, for $60, can 3D print your face onto an action hero, a fully posable action figure, Marvel action figure or Star Wars or a G.I. Joe, if you prefer. But that's as close as we're going to get. We don't have superpowers. We have only weakness. That's why God called you to boast in him, not yourself. So maybe here's gospel application. Here's some application of this good news. Acknowledge your weakness to boast in Jesus. Acknowledge your weaknesses, your flaws, your, your cracked nature, your brokenness, your failures, the ways you fall short as a parent, father, mother, single adult, child, teen, youth. Acknowledge the ways you fall short, your weaknesses, your failures, the stuff you just don't do well, that you might boast in him. I don't, I don't like doing that myself. I chafe when Sung asks me, what are you looking for, dear? Because I want to find it without help. I want to find it on my own. I want to hide weakness, not display weakness. But that's the wrong approach to the Christian life. Russ Ramsey writes of Vincent van Gogh's famous painting, Self-Portrait with Bandaged Ear. You might know the story. Van Gogh got into a quarrel with artist Paul Gauguin, and van Gogh was struggling greatly with mental instability, and he cut off his earlobe. I'm not sure why. People around him freaked out. And Van Gogh, I think at their urging, checked himself into a, an asylum for the mentally ill. Interestingly, he painted his most, some of his most famous paintings in that asylum, including self-portrait, portrait of himself with a big, huge bandage on his head. Think about what he did. He painted his own weakness. He put his own weakness on display. He painted his own folly. He painted his own shame. If I were painting my own self-portrait, I would not do that, would you? I would make sure the light is correct on my best side. But that's what we do when we go to home group or a friend here asks us with sincerity, how you doing? And we just say, I'm fine, even though we're not fine. We're giving them a self-portrait. We're painting a certain picture. We just want to present strength and hide weakness. 
Russ Ramsey writes, when we do this, we hide what needs redemption. I think that's a really good point in light of this text. When we do that, we hide what needs redemption. He writes, Van Gogh's self-portrait with bandaged ear indicts us. How willing are we to acknowledge the fact that we have a lot of things in us that aren't right, that are weak? So apply the good news, friends, by not hiding what needs redemption. Acknowledge weakness. Acknowledge sin. Acknowledge failure. Don't, don't live with a kind of spiritual hand sanitizer. I'm trying to sanitize the picture. Acknowledge where you fail, that you might boast in what Christ has done, that you might display the gold of his finished work shining through all your brokenness and failures. Boast in him that way, because God's power is displayed in the weakness of ourselves. He displays his power in the weakness of our message, first example. He displays his power in the weakness of ourselves, second example. And then one more example. God's power displayed in the weakness of our ministry. Third, God's power displayed in the weakness of our ministry. Now in chapter 2, ignore the chapter break here. The apostle again recounts his ministry in Corinth. He said, I did not come with lofty speech. I didn't come with wisdom like you like wisdom. I came to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, fundamentally, that was my message to you, Corinthians. Not all the fancy stuff you desire didn't come to entertain you. I preached Jesus and him crucified, risen, and reigning. And then he says something very encouraging for me personally, and perhaps for you too. In verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3, he says, And I was with you, Corinthians, in weakness and in fear and much trembling. This is a great Apostle Paul, greatest church planter in church history. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. It's our weakness theme again. In Acts 18, we are told that Paul in Corinth was, quote, opposed and reviled opposed and reviled, that would make me feel weak and fearful and cause me to tremble. But Jesus, in Acts 18, appears to Paul in a vision. He said he had many people in that city who would be his people. Jesus called, caused many to believe. So the apostles stayed in Corinth a year and a half, preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, and people were saved. People received saving faith. By the power of the Spirit. That's what he's talking about next in verse 4. My speech and my message in his ministry there were not in plausible words of wisdom, but demonstration of the Spirit and of power. There's that power again in weakness. Demonstration of the Spirit and power so that your faith, Corinthians, your faith in Christ, your saving faith in Jesus might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So he's talking about the origin of the Corinthians saving faith in Jesus. But catch the contrast. I think it's really encouraging for us. Weakness, fear, trembling, I can relate, but he says... I preached Jesus, and the Spirit came in power, and some of y'all believe savingly. 
that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. You see, it's God's power displayed in the weakness of human ministry as we preach Jesus. It's the same point. It's kind of like, to borrow an analogy, it's kind of like looking at a Toyota Corolla but not realizing someone has stuck a Corvette engine in that Corolla. Now, if you own a Corolla, I am not seeking to offend you. I own a Toyota Corolla as well. It is a reliable but unimpressive car. In fact, we have the base model Corolla, the entry-level Corolla. So it struggles to go up any hill. You know, the little gerbils in that engine are just going as fast as they can. If my Corolla passes you on the freeway, you are surprised. It must be going downhill. Gospel ministry in this world will look often like a Toyota Corolla, unimpressive on the outside, weak, fearful, trembling, but pop the hood, brothers and sisters. There's a Corvette engine in this baby. It's called the Holy Spirit, the person of God, the Holy Spirit. Our gospel ministry in this church might look like a Toyota Corolla to you. I understand. Our Sunday services, our home groups, our outward evangelistic ministry, you might see only Toyota Corolla. You might look at Grace Church and think, we just scream out weakness from every pore. Grace Church, synonymous with weakness. And that's okay. To the degree we proclaim and minister Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and reigning. A Corvette is rolling out of the garage. This is true when you minister as a single adult to a friend, married couples to each other, parents to your kids, youth to your siblings. Don't forget what is under the hood. Our ministry weakness is a platform to put on display the Spirit's power to transform lives. I'm just going to bear with here, or ask the children's ministry workers to bear with me for a minute. Think about Moses in Exodus 4. Moses says to God, don't send me. I can't talk. God says, your brother Aaron will help you, but you're going. You're weak, you're qualified. The prophet Jeremiah said, Lord God, I don't know how to speak. I'm just a youth. I'm too young. God said, you're weak. Good, you're qualified. The prophet Amos said, I'm no prophet or son of a prophet. I'm a herdsman. I know how to take care of fig trees. God says, good, you're qualified. The apostle Peter said to Jesus at one point, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Jesus said, all right, you're qualified. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. The Apostle Paul, same apostle, said, I got a painful thorn in the flesh. I got a debilitating physical weakness. Please with the Lord three times. Jesus, please take it away. The Lord said, I'm sorry, not this time. Because my power is perfected in weakness. Boy, it sounds like 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. My power is perfected in weakness. How do you feel when it comes to your own gospel ministry? or maybe outreach and evangelism in particular, since that's the immediate context. How do you feel when it comes to evangelism? How do you feel when people stand up here and talk about inviting to life explored? How does that make you feel? 
You feel weak? Fearful? Do you tremble? Good. You're qualified. Qualified for God to use you in gospel ministry. Don't, don't disqualify yourself. Your weakness can be a platform for God to use you and me and transform lives. Friends, are you convinced the Christian life is to be lived out of weakness? I'm not saying we indulge sin. I'm not saying that. But our own weakness, our own brokenness, the, the cracked nature that we are, these clay pots, are you convinced the Christian life should be lived out of weakness? I hope you're taking a deep breath. I hope you're feeling your shoulders relax a little bit. And hope and faith are rising in your soul. So apply this weak message, maybe for a cross-shaped life to those around you. Remember your weak self <laughs> to boast in Jesus and his finished work and engage in the weakness of our ministry, engage in the weakness of our gospel ministry as the Holy Spirit himself transforms lives around us. Friends, the Christian life is to be lived out of weakness because our God displays his power through weakness. Let's pray together. And we'll take the Lord's Supper. I want to give you a moment to respond to the Lord, to respond to the Holy Spirit. Anything he's just putting on your heart or speaking to you about. Or maybe you would be honest with yourself and him and just say, I've, yeah, I've kind of treated the cross of Christ like it's foolish and I need to turn in repentance and faith. You can do that right now. Let's acknowledge weakness together, brokenness, the stuff we don't do well, the ways we fail. To boast in our Savior. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, blessed Trinity, thank you for this encouraging passage. Thank you for the reality that you teach us here, that you are not hindered by weakness. No, quite the contrary. You use weak people. You call weak people to yourself. In fact, you display your power through the apparent weakness of Christ crucified. Let us even now hope in this message, this good news, and apply it to our lives, for it indeed is the power and wisdom of God for us who believe. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.